kind of drive me crazy, but it's fine. The truth talks raw. Yeah. Un- unplugged. Unplugged. Yep. Start us off with a word of prayer. Yeah. Father God, we are in awe of your goodness to us. We are grateful for your mercy and grace given to us each and every morning, and great is your faithfulness. Father, we do not deserve to have this opportunity to speak and talk and interact about the truth. So we pray, Father, that you would guide us into all truth, that we would speak and interact in a manner that brings you glory, that praises your name, that encourages uh, everyone, Father, we pray, to walk in the light of your truth. Help us to be men of truth. Help us to have speech that is guided and guarded by truth, and help us to always defend and declare the truth with the utmost purity for your praise alone, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Man, I am blessed beyond belief. Amen. I I'm am. Good. I'm, I'm blessed as well. Blessed to be here with you as well. And um, I want to uh, start off with uh, a, <laughs> a question uh, that comes off of, wait a minute. Are we talking about prayer again? Yes, we're talking about <laughs> prayer again. Some of the uh, uh, the preaching that you've been doing lately, and uh, <clears throat> this is a this is one of those things that I want some clarification on. Okay. So uh, here's the context, because context is king. Uh, randomly, my wife had this prayer. I was this. I'm sorry. This dream, and this dream was basically uh, I died in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just weird. So uh, we were just kind of chatting it up during one of our uh, infamous uh, Bellcroft Fellowship times. And you were like, uh, well, um, did she have a rhema? And that's what you said, right? Yep. And so I'm like, wait a minute. I need to know what that word is all about. So <clears throat> I, um, I really want to know what that word is all about because... And it just means word from the Lord. And see, that's the that's the thing. It's like whenever I, I've heard it. But it's how it's used. Every single time I've heard it, it says I got to, you know, people would say, you know, this is a rhema word. Yeah. So are they just saying this is a word word? Yeah. 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 It's obviously they're they're using it in a way that's not supposed to be used, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's they're they're attributing meaning to the word that doesn't have that meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't doesn't speak to that reality or, uh, you know, obviously in our contemporary settings, the Lord doesn't speak that way. And so there is no there is no rhema, period. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, it's it's that simple. Because one of the unless you read the rhema. Right. Which is the word of God. Okay. Right? The Lord speaks through his word. And in that sense, yes, he is constantly he has spoken. He continues to speak through mm-hmm. his word. That's reality. But. This idea of, of ongoing revelation, yeah, that's a, that is uh, that is that is not reality. It's very interesting. Interesting that you would say those words. Uh, he has spoken, and uh, he is speaking. He is speaking. He has spoken. He speaks. He will speak. He mm-hmm. is speaking. You can put it in any form you want, as you obviously open the word. Because as you were, we were having that conversation, one of the scriptures that you brought up was Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. 
And it was, you know, obviously jokingly because, you know, in the past, uh, because of our upbringing and I would say our, our theology that has been uh, and is being corrected, um, Beverly would have this thought process that her words are or her dreams, I'm sorry, are basically words from the Lord. And, you know, we would we would take that as like, hey, you know, you know, dreaming dreams and stuff like that is mm-hmm. is part of that. Um, but I went back and read that scripture again. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I wanted to read it again is because of a couple of things. One, <clears throat> first of all, when I'm reading it and I uh, uh, was inspired a lot by the last men's Bible study when we're mm-hmm. talking about reading mm-hmm. and one of your steps in studying is observing. Yes. I observed a lot of different things this time in that scripture. Good. So Praise that's the Lord. what I want to kind of talk about. Praise the Lord. Now, he, here's why I want to talk about it. When I start to look at uh, a few of the words that are in there, one of the words that is in there is polymeros. Mm-hmm. And polymeros is how the actual verse starts off. Mm-hmm. And polymeros, uh, according to my handy dandy biblehub.com uh, parallel Bible, when I'm looking at the ESV or the, um, the elect standard version <laughs> and the Greek study Bible, polymeros is in many portions. Yeah. And it's talking about how God spoke long ago in many at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our prophet our fathers by the prophets. Yeah. So when I look at the when I was looking at this is uh, in many portions in many ways, mm-hmm. and long ago, um, I was looking at that. I was like, okay, that are, that is different from what is written in the English version mm-hmm. because it doesn't say in many portions. So what is that like? What are the portions? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would. If I would slice it, that you got to be careful with languages. I mean, if you start parsing it that tightly, okay. Um, I don't know if portions is necessarily the. Um, in many you know, ways, I yeah. think is the word yes. it's trying to. Yeah, yeah. In it just speaks of in various forms. Okay. Right. It's more. I think you know. I don't have my Greek lexicon. I could grab it in front of me, but I think uh, going back in my mind's eye to that word and then obviously in this context that's what it's talking about i don't know if portions is 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 a helpful delineation of what he's getting at in context he's talking about the idea is is varied right that's the point that's being driven in various times Mm -hmm. and in various ways multifaceted Mm -hmm. right so it's it's going across many years long ago and in many ways and at many times Mm -hmm. Right, God spoke through various means, right? And right. that would be that would be dreams, that would be direct dictation, right? Where God is speaking directly to Moses through the burning bush or mm-hmm. on the mountain, right? It would be through dreams as he did with uh, Abraham. Um, that would be through uh, prophetic uh, utterances, right? Through prophets speaking. That would be through parables, you know, Nathan speaks a parable to David and in so doing confronts David in his sin. Uh, Second Samuel uh, uh, chapter 12, you know, with the Psalm 51 repentance, that's a parable where he's going through the sheep and the lamb, you know, right, God right. is the one speaking, obviously, through his prophet. So, yeah, there's all kinds of ways, obviously, that the Lord spoke. Um, I mean, you can say uh, he spoke out of the whirlwind to Elijah, right? You know, I mean, there's, I mean, it's it's literally 
it's literally endless opportunities in the Old Testament when you consider endless, meaning it's so multifaceted in the way God revealed himself through uh, his prophets, through um, to his people. It is fascinating when you see that, and the primary ones obviously being the prophets and then direct correlation through dreams and visions and all of that. But I mean, he even, <laughs> let's be honest, to show how multifaceted it is, he even spoke to Balaam through his donkey, mm-hmm. right? You know, and and it's like uh, that's that's a form of revelation. Mm-hmm. I mean, God was speaking, you know, through the through the donkey, obviously by way of the angel and all of that. That's standing in front of the donkey, and mm-hmm. the donkey turned around. And, yeah, and, that's scary. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so uh, it is. Uh, it is interesting when you when you think that through. So. That's that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't I don't know if I'd get too tied up in, you know, parsing portions as much as what's the context? What's he what's he driving? He's driving the multifaceted nature of God's revelation throughout the Old Testament until Christ comes, and that's part of the issue is the stark difference between what God was doing in the Old Testament to what He's now doing in the New, mm-hmm. to where. All of those various forms and varied times all went in one direction. Mm -hmm. They all spoke towards who? Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what it was all about. It was either preparation for Christ or it was prophetic proclamation of Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ comes, and then what? He speaks. And it's all about him, and it's all from him. Mm -hmm. Even, obviously, the apostles lay the foundation to the church, but the apostles are doing nothing more than reiterating mm-hmm. what Christ obviously has taught them. And then uh, that's why the Romans, uh, book of Romans, calls the Bible what? The Word of Christ, mm. you know, because that's what it is. And so, yeah, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is bringing out now. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, that was more of my question, because it was like, in many portions, like, what I was really asking for, like, some guidance on what that was pointing to so that was that was spot on for me because you know when you say many forms I get that I understand that yep um because it's like in many ways in many portions it's like okay what is that what is that what is portion yeah it can be confusing and that's why I think most translations interpret it many times many ways Mm -hmm. it's again multifaceted varied you know he spoke even through nature right you know and that reality of the whirlwind and even the revelation of the of the cloud by day and the and the fire by night, you know, mm-hmm. he's revealing himself, and so yeah, yeah. So the next thing that I have highlighted is the uh, God spoke, mm-hmm. and that is you know I, I observed that yep. that is a past tense. Yep. And then, like you're saying, the spark difference when it's talking about uh, he has spoken to us by his son. Yes. Both of those are to past tense yeah. verbs. Yep. So when I noticed that now I have questions is like why is it that it is he spoke and then he has spoken. I'm gra- now I'm going to grab my Greek cuz I got something else for you too um that I have question about as well when it comes down to like the not just the tense but the type of word that's being used cuz if I look inside of the Greek it's two different words that are being used in some of those occasions. Yeah. So that's why I have questions about that. All right. Well, you keep talking. You, you created a monster when you t- when you when you gave us the uh, 
the the kind of like the instructions on on how to go for that. So listen, listen, man. Go ahead and talk in the mic for me, though. Yeah, I got it. Let me. You let trying me, to find it? Yeah, let me let me let me find Hebrews here. You know what I say though? What this is? What's what that? a blessing! <laughs> this, is a, this is a blessing. This is a blessing for me. Yeah, it's a blessing for me, brother. Yeah. Just spend time with you, opening the word. Uh, yeah. So. Um, now is that the Greek, the actual like Greek there? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's, yep. And I'm just looking at. And so which one, which one are you talking about? You're talking about the past tense. So the reiteration of yeah, of, God spoke, mm-hmm. and then, um, in verse two, but in these last days He has spoken. Mm-hmm. So both of those to me are past tense. Mm-hmm. So. I I can the only thing that I can do is I can point to scripture. Yep. Of course it's being inspired. This is the scripture. That's why the Hebrew writer is saying it. That's the only answer and I'm kind of trying to see if my answer is right. God has spoken and then he has spoken and and then he has spoke. He God spoke and then he has spoken. So it can also like the way that it could be, you know, um being said and I'm just kind of asking questions is it God spoke is at the Old Testament, and then the writer is speaking yeah. as he's as if the writer knows that it's yeah. going to be in the New Testament. So, well, and part of it too. I'm just opening up another translation. Yeah, uh, I'm making y'all pass the work tonight. I just want y'all no, know. No, it's all good. Part <laughs> of it too is that's being reiterated here. Obviously, it's it's the revelation came in many different forms mm-hmm. in many different times, but when it speaks of but in these last days, it has he has spoken through his son. It's go back to what I was saying a minute ago about the reality that all that God said from the beginning was all pointing mm-hmm. towards Christ. Gotcha. And there was a there was a a clear. This is what this is what theologians refer to as progressive revelation, mm. where everything's building on one another, but 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 it's not complete yet, right? Mm. And so everything is anticipating the next the next revelation, right? It's building, it keeps building, and it keeps building to that pinnacle, which is Christ. Uh, Obviously, Genesis 3.15, right? So the serpent does what he does, Adam and Eve sin, and then there's this curse, and then there's this prophecy. It's the first aspect of the gospel right there, boom, that there's going to be a seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent, Mm -hmm. right? And there's so much we can learn about, about the son, and that he will be a son, and that he will be a seed of the woman, and and that he's going to crush this serpent, and that's the first reality of that, the gospel. There's hope. There's hope for mankind. There's something, there's someone coming that's going to bring this. And so you see, right from the very beginning, as God, uh, right after creation, and he's speaking, he's speaking about what? Christ, mm-hmm. and the coming of Christ. And so, but all all then, then Christ was promised, right? He's promised throughout Genesis, Genesis, what is it, 49? Um, the, uh, Jacob is there blessing his, his children, and he talks about the reality that what we don't know to be Christ, but we do know will be Christ, and that he's coming from the line of, the, he's coming from the line of Judah. He's going to have a scepter in his hand, which means he's going to be king. Mm. We learn all of that before we even get, get out of Genesis. Mm. Deuteronomy 18, we know he's going to be a prophet that the people are going to listen to. Mm-hmm. Moses, like everybody's talking about the promised one, mm-hmm. the seed. And so, but yet all of that is what? It's incomplete. It's partial, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, if you want to take portion to mean it's like a puzzle piece, right? And that's mm-hmm. progressive revelation, and it mm-hmm. just keeps fitting together. And as the revelation goes, it just keeps, it doesn't, it doesn't so much replace what came before, it keeps filling it in, filling it in until ultimately the sun comes. And so part of what's going on here in Hebrews is saying everything up to this point, he spoke in various ways and in various forms, but all of it was pointing to who he speaks through now, which is Christ. Mm. And so that's part of what, what the writer is, is, um, so I have a question for you coming from that. So what I'm gathering and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because when you started off, you were like, God is already, it, it basically points to his uh, sovereignty and his, um, uh, w- the, whatever the word is that I'm looking for, that saying that he is, it's transcendency, I would say, yep. that he had, it's already been written out. But as he is revealing it, he is speaking in different ways. Mm-hmm. So God, you, you went through God speaking through Balaam, uh, mm-hmm. Balaam's donkey, God speaking through, uh, through the whirlwind, God yep. speaking in these various different ways. But now what we get, the, the, the way that he is revealing that word that has already been, um, that has already been put into place, that's already been established, he is now doing it through his son. Is that yep. what you're saying? Yes. And so so there's the both are, both are true because one one is focusing think about it this way because it's both in the text here. One is focusing more on the on the form or the aspect of revelation, right? Mm-hmm. Which comes in many forms and at many times. Mm-hmm. I.e. revelation, God revealing himself. So that's one side of of what you're asking and it's obviously varied and it and it came in many ways and many times. But now that revelation comes from one place or one place alone, the sun. Mm. So you have that side, which is talking about the way in which God revealed himself. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other side that's located here, which isn't just the way in which he revealed, but what he revealed, mm. what he revealed, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the point of his revelation throughout the Old Testament, obviously it's more than Christ, right? There's so much more, but yet the point of all, all of it, so let's say the tabernacle and the and the offerings and all that that pointed to, right? I mean, there's specific revelation given to Israel dealing with their uh, sin offering and Thanksgiving offering and Day of Atonement and all of that mm-hmm. was specific to them in that moment at that time, and yet it all pointed in one direction. Mm. It all pointed to a final revelation, which mm-hmm. is Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so that's in here as well. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, what happens is we tend to focus on one aspect of the way in which he revealed, right? Because obviously I'm sure you're going in this direction about God continuing to reveal himself through dreams and prophecies and all of that. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. We'll, we'll so, go ahead. So, so, but in this passage, it seems pretty clear that that's done, mm-hmm. right? He's not revealing himself in that way anymore because he already did that in the past, and the text makes that clear. Right. In the past, he spoke this way, but now he has, he has spoken through his son, and thus he continues to speak every time his son speaks, mm-hmm. i.e. through the word, mm-hmm. the inscripturated word. So, um, so there's a finality to the, to, to the method of revelation, but there's also a finality to the uh, message of revelation, because the message is Christ. Mm. There's no more message needed. That's kind of the argument that, 
that uh, the theological argument that ends ongoing prophecy. It's like we don't need any more prophecy because the prophetic message is fulfill- fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Christ has come. Christ is here. Christ is building his church. Christ will return. Like, what more do we need? Right. There's nothing else to add. It's mm-hmm. finished. Hence why, you know, the that exhortation to not add to the word comes up so many times because it's fulfilled. It's finished. Mm-hmm. It's done. So that's part of what's what this phrase and these phrases in verses one and two of Hebrews is bringing out. Yeah. A completion, now, a yeah. fulfillment, a, okay. you know, in one sense you could say it's partial in the past and now it's fulfilled and there's truth to that. And in another, you, you could see it as, well, he revealed himself in in various forms, but now it's through his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, um, now speaking of the son, uh, verse two continues whom he appointed, the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Mm-hmm. Now in that, uh, in that verse, it was just, uh, in the last days, but in these last days was something that kind of stuck out to me because it's like the Greek word was eschatol or something. Yeah. Um, get the word, right. <clears throat> that's where we get the word eschatology. Yeah. Which yeah. literally means last, last days or last things. Right. Yeah. So is it, so if he's writing it, then the Hebrew writer, mm-hmm. um, let's just, let's, let's just call him uh Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he wrote it, then, uh, he likes coffee by the way, <laughs> if he wrote it, then that it was the last days, then what is it now? Yeah. So uh, I would say it this way, in the Hebrew mindset, the Jewish mindset, the last days, so there's different epochs, epics, different eras of time in the Jewish mindset. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last day was always the time when the Messiah had come, right? That was the last day, because obviously in the Jewish mindset, there was this reality of the, the, the Messiah coming and, and everything happens like right then. This idea of the Messiah coming and then, and then leaving and then coming back in this projected period of time, for the Jew was was not how they were thinking, and so. But the idea of last days was, boom, when the Messiah comes, that's the last day. And Paul references this most mo, multiple times where he talks about we're in the last days, hmm. we're in the last days. Yeah. So from a technical standpoint, uh, using eschaton in the most technical sense we've been in the last days since christ came right since he's come we've we've been in the last days which obviously that makes sense because everything is now moving forward the timetable is is rapidly moving forward because he's come he's died as the paschal lamb he's been raised he's ascended he's building his church i mean there's only one thing left right and that's for him to return and set up set up his earthly kingdom and so that's kind of what the text is driving. Like we are in the last days. Hmm. Like this is it. We're we're at the final stage. If you take again, progressive revelation, which started in Genesis about the coming of the seed, and then obviously ends in Revelation with the restoration of all things. We are without question in the last days because the only thing left really is for him to obviously return and set it all up. And so you can understand why that is so poignant in the in the uh, readers or the writer's mind of of holy scripture. Mm. So that's the way these, we see it as we see it often and use it, and which is some ways not healthy. We see it as like, yeah, w- w- you know, last days is out there, 
Like we're, we're still waiting for the last days to come. And there's some sense in which that's not helpful because we're in the last days. We've been in the last days. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So it's more or less a time period. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, like a, yeah. Cause I kind of like the, the word picture and you know, like I said, correct me, like the first day or, you yeah. know, the first day is the like before Christ, yep. you know, BC time yep. frame. Yep. Then, you know, uh, after Christ would be like uh, now, yep. like, yep. you know, the, all the prophecies, not prophecies, but like all the things that need to be done, you know, according to God's will are going to be done. But this is after Christ and then he's going to have a second coming. Yes. OK. Yeah. And I think um, I'm trying to remember here. Let me see. Um, yeah. So look at First uh, Peter chapter one, verse 20. He was foreknown. This is Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This is the predestination of Christ as the Paschal Lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Same, same reality. Uh, you, you can see that um, coming up. Let me see. Right there. Did you see the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then in First Corinthians... And let me see here. That's not a vacuum cleaner. That's actually the uh, <laughs> the hand dryer. It sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Thank you, Dave. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it uses it in a different uh, phraseology, but it's the same point uh, Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, these things, and he's, and he's talking about, in context, he's talking about the Israelites who died, 23,000, the whole sexual immorality, idolatry, and they were all destroyed and killed for their wickedness. And he's going to say these were all examples for us to learn from. Mm -hmm. And so he says, now these things, what I just said, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Mm -hmm. So he's saying we're in the end of the ages, Mm -hmm. right? That's that's his point, I think... um, so that's James, or that's uh, Paul, that's Peter, and I think John uses it. I think James, I was flipping over to, to um, I think James does the same thing. Um, so they all say it, basically. Yeah, yeah, I'm just showing you that this was, a, this was a typical Jewish... Um, While you're looking, um, yeah. So verse verse right. three of chapter five: Your gold and your silver has corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and and will eat your flesh like fire. Here you go. You have laid up treasure in the last days. That's James chapter five verse three. Mm-hmm. So you know, again, it's just that's the way that phrase theologically is used in scripture. Technically, is not in a tribulational sense that's the way we think of it yeah we think, the, we think the tribulation is the last days. Mm-hmm. no no we have been in the last days when christ left the earth mm. right you could say we've been in the last days since he came and that would be technically true mm-hmm. but obviously it was when he ascended to heaven when the angel said what why are you gazing up into heaven the way he went the way he's coming back mm-hmm. and he's coming back get ready do his work fulfill the mission right and 
So, and that's why we should live with a right sense of urgency rather than a, a right, we, we should be living with a, a, a sense of his imminence, his nearness, mm. which James talks about that the judge is standing at the door, mm-hmm. like he's right there. And that's the way the scripture writers always speak of that. Paul says in Romans, I love it. He says, how much more near are we to salvation? Right. And he's talking about the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so we don't think about it because our eschatology is so is so uh, whacked out and, and unper- uh, impersonal to us. It's like it's like more like a Hollywood movie than divine revelation. That's what we've turned mm-hmm. eschatology into. And therefore, we don't live with a right sense of urgency. We almost live with a sense of flippancy about the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know, when I see the beast and I see the mark of the beast and I see people being martyred and I see the establishment of the one world order, well, then I'll get serious about it. But in the meantime, it, eschatology doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. We're, to, we're commanded to, to live with an anticipation that today could be the day. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So last days, we're in them. We've been in them. We're in them now. And as Paul says, how much more are we, been, are we in them thinking that Christ has been 2,000 plus years since he ascended? Mm-hmm. How much closer are we? A lot closer than they were. Yeah. And they lived as if he could come through the clouds today. Mm-hmm. How much more should we? Yeah, that's good. Now the 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 next part uh, took me took me pretty hard because we still in Hebrews we're still in Hebrews chapter okay. one right. and uh, so now after the the last days he has spoken we talked about that to us by his son yes now uh, I don't want to skip ahead I'm gonna keep going whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also. He created the world. Yeah, great. So this is a great uh, conversation about the Trinity. About the eternality of Christ. Yep, and how it wasn't just a thing of him just kind of showing up. No. Like he was there. From the beginning. Creation of the world. Yep. Spirit of God moved or hovered above the waters. Yep. Like they were all there. All working. They were all involved. Um, They've always been. Yeah. They've never not been. Right, right. So... This is what got me. Uh, he is the radiance Amen. of the glory of God. Can you explain that? Because when I look at the the word, uh, it it the word uh, apagasma. Yes, is that what the word is? I'm looking it up here. Yeah, apagasma, radiance. Mm-hmm. What is that? Because all I think of are the beams of the sun. Yeah. You know. Yep. There is a. Um there is uh, that's not that far off of what that of what that means sun with the u in it when i said that you know the beams of the sun the s u n the sun is the is the is the beams of the sun god being the sun the sun of the beams yep it is that yes no it's speaking the radiance obviously is it's I love the writers of Scripture and obviously the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit because God the Father has no form, mm-hmm. so he's spirit, but he manifested himself often in forms, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, the burning bush, mm-hmm. the fire, right? The cloud, mm-hmm. the lightning, the thunder, you know, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of ways in which he, he tended to manifest himself. And so when it's talking about God the Son... He is 
the brightness of the image of God is essentially what that's speaking of. Mm-hmm. Radiance is a, is a good translation, but it's talking about the reality that God is light. Mm-hmm. And so it's highlighting again the fact that the Son, He, he radiates the Father. He, to use your, your analogy, which is actually helpful, He is the... Uh, uh, we, we can't technically see the Son as much as we see the radiance of the sun, yeah, right? And mm-hmm. so so it is with God. We can't see God, but we can see his radiance. Mm-hmm. We can see his manifestation. Mm-hmm. We can see his brightness, right? And that's what the Old Testament saw, right? Mm-hmm. The Old Testament saint, you know, that's what they would see when God would manifest. They couldn't see God, but they would see, you know, the like Moses when he says, uh, show me your glory, and it says... He saw the backside of God. God mm-hmm. hit him in the cleft of the rock, mm-hmm. right? And then it was, as God went by, he declared his self-revelation of mercy and grace and, and faithful and yet judge. And, and it says that he saw the backside of the, what, the glory of God. And uh, so what Christ is, is the, is the radiance. He is the brightness of the Father in full form in that he reveals the Father to us so that we can fully see the Father in the revelation of the Son. Mm. And so, uh, and that's why, you know, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, right? Mm. He is the light of the Father, right? right. The Father is light. There, in him, there's no darkness at all. Mm. He is utter brightness. He is ever bright. He is always bright in mm-hmm. the sense of he radiates, and that brightness, you know, uh, is a is a uh, description and declaration of his purity, Mm. right? There is no darkness in him, meaning there's no void of character. There's no sin. There's nothing lacking. He is completely full of purity and holiness and righteousness Mm. beyond anything we can even imagine. Mm. And Christ is what? The radiance of that, Mm. meaning he he, uh, exudes that. He displays that. He is, um, Colossians is a helpful cross-reference here because it says the same thing, but in a little different way, but it helps bring clarity on both sides. Mm-hmm. And what Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image, the image of the invisible God. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So that's saying the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So what, what Christ does, he radiates or he displays what, can't not, what cannot be seen. Mm. So Christ makes what is invisible, God the Father, and now makes him visible. How? By radiating his glory, meaning by, dis- by, by displaying, declaring, manifesting, obviously not in its fullest, uh, fullest manner because uh, we would all die, yeah. but in, in his perfect manner. And that's what happens in the uh, transfiguration when uh, Peter, Peter and John uh, get to uh, see uh, Christ in his full glory, and it just blows them away, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one day we'll get to see that, but uh, we haven't seen that yet. But in the manifestation of the Son, we see the Father, and that's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, mm. right? I and the Father are one, because he's radiating. A really good cross-reference to this also is, is John 1, where um, John 1, at the end of John, the prologue in John 1 and verse 18, it says, God the Father the one true God, no one has ever seen him, right? Because he's invisible. But it says, God the Son, the one true God, he has made him known. Mm. That's what it's saying. He radiates, he makes known in the sense of he displays the brightness of God, the glory of God. That's, it's rich. I mean, it's huge. I love it. Cause, yeah. And also what I'm thinking when I hear that, it's like, 
how how undeserving we are of that. Yeah. How undeserving, but also he had to dumb himself down basically in order for us to even see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and again, it's not, it's not, God doesn't reveal himself in his entirety because we couldn't understand it it. because he's, he's infinite and we're finite. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but how he has revealed himself in his son is, 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 is complete in the sense of there's nothing lacking. Mm. Right. It's, and it's, it's so helpful it's so encouraging because what Christ reveals is the glory of God. Mm. It is the weighty reality of his, of his character all summed together in the person of Christ. Mm. And it's glorious because without Christ, we don't fully, in the, in the, in the um, uh, complete, accurate sense, we can't fully see God and know God. Mm-hmm. Right, but in Christ we can, and because He puts on the radiance of the Father, because He is the radiance of the Father, because He's obviously co-equal with God in all levels, mm-hmm. right? In the sense of in in the reality of His attributes and and His essence and His worth, and so when Christ comes and walks on the earth, God is is revealing Himself to us in a way He obviously never did before. Mm-hmm. And which is glorious, and in a way that, as Colossians says, all the fullness of God dwells in Christ mm-hmm. bodily, mm-hmm. right? Like this—that's he's saying the same thing as I think Colossians two eight or something around around about that verse, where all the fullness of God the Father, right, the glory, all that God is, dwelt and dwells mm-hmm. in. God the Son bodily, meaning in his, as he as he manifests himself both in his in his incarnate in his incarnate state when he when he becomes uh, man and taking on humanity, he is displaying the glory of God. It's it's amazing. Mm, that's good. It's 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 more though. <laughs> There's more there though. Yeah, uh, and the exact imprint of his nature. Yeah. Uh, the when you say the exact imprint, um, what does it say in the Greek? It, it says exact expression, um, uh, yeah. substance. So, so that word, that word, if I remember correctly, let me look it up. Um, it's, it's, it's a character, which, right? which, which, uh, which verse three, um, verse three, which, character is a word, isn't it? Which word, the represent, representation, uh, no, um character is the word exact expression oh the imprint yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i think it's icon let me look it up here i'm looking it up in greek uh he is the is that another word is that a different word hold on a second because i see radiance and then i yeah. see yep character yes there it is yep i see it Mm-hmm. Yep. Hold on a second. Digging in the yep. scriptures. Yep. There it is. Yep. Yes. And so are you asking what that what that reality is? Mm-hmm. What that word means? The the character, um, because the way that it the way that it reads from what I have is um, the glory and character, mm-hmm. literally the word. So, uh, so, doxis, 
yeah. uh, Kai mm-hmm. character. Yeah, but what that's talking about is what, um, again, Colossians uses a different Greek word, but it brings out the same idea mm-hmm. um, when it talks about um, uh, Christ being the imprint of his image. Mm-hmm. And what it is, what it's talking about is obviously Christ and God have the same character mm-hmm. by way of attributes, right? They're, they're, you know, right. I was going to ask you what character, man. Yeah. Yeah. All three members of the Trinity obviously are co-equal in essence, co- co-equal on obviously every level in that mm-hmm. sense. The son is distinct from the father. The father is distinct from the son and the spirit. You know, they're all, uh, the spirit, you know, they are, they are one God in three persons that are, co-equal yet distinct in their makeup. And so the reality of of what Hebrews is bringing out here is that in Christ the exact radiance, the glory of God is being is being uh, displayed and the exact essence of God the Father is dis- is seen. Christ is the image of God the Father. He is displaying and that's the point that's being uh, that's being declared. That's why I don't think any modern translation uses the word character because it's confusing in our vernacular. It's not the same thing that that is being described there. What's a better translation would be likeness. Mm-hmm. That Greek term means more likeness, um, imprint, meaning if you had a if you had a piece of clay and you took a ring or your finger and pushed it in clay and you walked away that impression is the exact likeness of your of your finger mm-hmm. right and so it's that kind of idea and so christ is the exact likeness of the image of god in the sense of when you've seen christ you've seen god mm-hmm. because in their essence they're they're identical in their in their character in their sense their attributes and who they are and so that's what's being highlighted here and i i'm just going to look here and see yeah, so so that same Greek word, depending on what lexicon you look up, uh, would say exact likeness. Mm. That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. So we think character, we think more demeanor, maybe an attribute, right? But that's that would be incomplete and inaccurate, mm. and that's not true, because Christ is the fullness of God. All of His attributes, all of His essence, mm. is held and in the person of Christ. Yeah, but I also think when I think of character, I think of uh, a someone playing a part yep. that is not them. Yep. So that's kind of, when I saw character, I was like, wait a minute. He already said that he is the radiance of the glory of God and then exact imprint, and I see the word character. I'm like, it can't be an exact imprint if it's someone playing the part. So character in what you're saying, yeah. just, you know. Yeah, just, that's just, the beauty of the Trinity, though. Right. Because, it, because it's, it's a, a different person who's all part of the same God, mm. right? So it's, it, that's the reality of modalism where you could fall into really mm. quickly, right? right? And, and obviously, we're, we're not modalists. Yeah, you're playing a part, like, yes. for right now and then yes. playing another yes. one. Yeah. Yes, and that's not what the text is saying at right. all. Mm-hmm. Right. He is God. Mm-hmm. He is God in the flesh. Right. And uh, he's God, the son. He's not God, the father. Mm. Right. We don't we don't confuse that. He's God, the son. Mm. He's not God, the father, mm-hmm. but he is the exact imprint. Again, back to that mold. Mm-hmm. When you've seen Christ, 
he is leaving the imprint of the Father in your mind, in your what you see. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus meant when he said, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." He's not saying he's not saying that there's only one one, and it's and it's me. I'm the mm-hmm. Father, and I'm here. Mm-hmm. He's saying no. There's two, right? That's why he prays to the Father. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's going to send the Son. There's mm-hmm. three. That's the Trinity. We're all one. That's his point. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me, because we're unified. We're co-equal in all, in all ways. And what Hebrews is saying here is is God revealed himself in the perfect revelation. He revealed himself uh, in the final revelation, which is his son. Mm. And he is the exact radiance, the exact display of the glory of God. He, he is the brightness of God the Father, and he is the exact impression, the imprint of God the Father. Wherever he goes, God the Father is seen. Mm. That's good. I love that. Um, so... The first parts of it, this is from my observation uh, of verse three. Um, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Mm-hmm. So those those phrases seem to go together mm-hmm. and then comma and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Yep. So that seems like it's a separate phrase. That's what I've observed. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it's different, but it's kind of like the spacing, like how he wanted. So he wanted to put those two. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, comma, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So it's yeah. kind of talking about who he is and then what he has done or what he is doing. Yeah, I, I would even say it's it's that in both areas. So like when it says he is the radiance of of the glory of God. Yeah, he, that's part of who he is, obviously, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. Yes, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Yes, but I would say in the in radiating the glory of God, that's not just who he is, it's also what he does, right? Right, okay. Yeah, and so in in being the exact imprint of his nature, again, that's not just who he is, it's what he does, mm-hmm. right? Again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, mm-hmm. right? And then obviously in holding up in holding up the universe by the word of his power, obviously that's highlighting without question what he does mm-hmm. ongoing. Right. No, not just past, but ongoing. Right. He continues to uphold it, mm-hmm. which is a massive part of this verse. Mm-hmm. But that's highlighting, obviously, his sovereignty, which is who he is, mm-hmm. sovereign Lord, which again again, highlights the fact that, wait a minute, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Writer of Hebrews is saying Christ created the heavens and the earth. Mm. What, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Again, you have the Trinity at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was, I was, I was pointing to your, your pyramid, yes. who God is, yes. what God has said, what he has done. Yes. Because the, who God is, is that he is the radiance and the glory and exact imprint. That's yep. who he is. Yep. Uh, and then what he has said is he opposed the universe by the word yes. of his power. Amen. And then what he has done after making purifications for sin, he sat down the right hand. So that's why when I saw it, I was like, okay, the way that he's spacing it makes that make sense. Yes. And, you know, after is, making purifications for sin. Which is totally true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would just say don't bifurcate it so hard to where you don't, you, where you don't see the reality of, you know, of, of his of his uh, attributes in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, I mean, obviously, yeah, no, that's a good way to see it. And that's, that's what's being said. Um, so 
um, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Yes. The word of his power. So at, in my human brain, I'm thinking two different things. So by his word, what he has spoken, and then by his power, by his hands, by his might and everything like that. Are they the same thing or are they two different things? You know, it's like, is he saying by the word, is that one whole phrase? Like, how is it? What is like, what is that? Is that all together? Like, are it two separate things? Because I would I would think it'd be he upholds the universe by his word and by his power. Yeah, no, I think it's highlighting the fact of his powerful word. Right. His, mm-hmm. he, he speaks, which, again, goes back to Genesis one. Mm-hmm. Right. So, again, this is huge. And this becomes really big in Genesis. Everything is spoken. It's mm-hmm. a spoken word mm-hmm. right? that does everything. Mm-hmm. Right. In the beginning, God said mm-hmm. and God said, mm-hmm. God said. And so the it's the power of the spoken word. Well, it's the same thing here. Right. He upholds the universe by what he says. And you watch Christ throughout as he's walking, you know, through, through earth and he speaks and everything changes, mm-hmm. right? It's the power of his word and he doesn't have to speak. He can think and everything changes, but you can just see that bringing out the reality of the spoken word. And then obviously faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The spoken word, word mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so you can see how that, that comes out. So, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't try to make more of, um, um, he upholds the universe by the word of his power, trying to say his, it doesn't, the text does not say um, his, his um, word and power. That is, that is not how it reads. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just me observing and asking yeah, questions nope, of the text good. and stuff yep, like that, yep. you know? Yeah. And trying to, I guess, trying to wrap my head around uh, what is being said and not trying to change it in any way, but just trying to understand it and to to absorb it, basically. Yeah, I'm just I'm reading it here um, since you brought it up. Yeah, it's right there, the, the rhema. Mm-hmm. That's the where rhema, it is. The rhema of his power. The dunamis. Yeah, that's dunamis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, there's many different words for word and for power. Again, it's just, yep. Yep. Right. And that's where I was like, the word, okay, the yep. rhema. Yep. Dunamis or dynamos, I've, I've seen that before Yep. Um, many, many times um, and heard about it. Um, so I was like, that's a, that's a great, you know, phrase. Now, the last part of this verse is what I have a lot of questions about, obviously. But, you know, after making purifications for sins. Mm -hmm. So making purifications would be obviously um, him shedding his blood on the cross, taking the wrath of God. Atonement. Yeah. That's my Um, atonement. And. The making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what I did not notice until just now, the majesty is capitalized. Yep. So that's pointing to God, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, 
I want to skip down just a little bit, not unless you have something that you want to touch nope. on in there. Nope. Skip down to verse five. Yep. So on verse, yeah, verse five. Yep. Uh, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, question yeah. mark, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Mm-hmm. In the English version, you are my son. The first one is capitalized, but the second one is not. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at the Greek word, the Greek word, one is ends with an S or an upside down five. If I'm looking at it with my English eyes. And then the other one ends with the V. Yeah. That's just a, that's just the, uh, declension of the, of the noun. It's just, it depends on what form it's in. It's, it's okay. the same word. Okay. It's just the way I thought it was like a title and then a, yeah. Cause it's capitalized. And I was like, wait a minute. Is that the same? Yeah. So just know this and cap, there is no capitalization in Greek. Really? Yeah. There, okay. Yeah. And so a lot of that, obviously, um, when it comes to son and father and like all of that, that is translational more than it is original. Okay. Yeah. So, um, um, so you just, you got to watch that. And so there's interpretation there and that's why certain versions will highlight that other versions won't. Yeah. Yeah. Translations won't. And so you gotta, you gotta watch that. So obviously there's, there are, there is capitalization in, in, uh, uh, Greek sometimes, but not in uh, personal pronouns like that. You have to watch that. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, a lot of, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of interpretation that takes place in translation. That's the point I was making. That makes so sense. So when you capitalize son, capitalize spirit, right? Those kind of things. You you take the word God is often is obviously capitalized in in Greek. You know, hatheos. You know, the word for God often. You know, you'll get terms like that that'll be capitalized or a, a person's name. So there's capitalization in Greek. But when it comes to son and father in the Trinity. You won't you won't necessarily get that. You'll get that in translation, mm-hmm. but you won't necessarily get that because if you look at it, even in if you've got your Greek open, and you see uh, verse, um, yeah. So if you look at like verse five, you can see the, um, and then when he gets to the quoting, he's quoting out of Psalm two, and he says right there, I don't know how your what version of Greek you're looking at, but it starts out. Quios, which is the word for son, and then it's moi, my son. Um, you can see it right there. Huios isn't isn't capitalized, right? Well, in this one it is. Yeah. So, but also the other son is capitalized too in yeah, the Greek. Yeah. See, so, so that, it doesn't. I, yeah. I get you. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So, um, it just it just depends on what translation you're using what Greek translation because again you can see there's different Greek translations I've got actually <laughs> I've got multiple opened up right here and mm-hmm. it depends on what translation you're using right one of the ones I'm using doesn't have it another one obviously does and it just depends on which one you're using and so so you just got to be careful of that you mm-hmm. don't want to put too much into that and obviously context will tell you whether it's talking about God the Son or God the Father and so um, but what was your question about that? Well, it was that it was the capitalization. That was really yes. the question. Cause yes. I was like, is he using the title of son versus the, 
like calling him a son, you know, in both, you know, is it is it one of the title? Because if it's capitalized, I'm thinking it's either a title or a name. Yeah. So, and the part with this, this is a this is a big passage. It's awesome. He's quoting out of Psalm two, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Um, go back there and look. Which this is a big question and a and a and a pretty big issue theologically. That's not easy to wrestle with. What does he mean by today I've begotten you? Um, two seven. Yeah, that's it. That's what it should be. Yep. There you go. So he's quoting uh, out of the psalmist here, David, which I would I believe David wrote this according to Acts 4. That's mm-hmm. what Acts 4 says. It doesn't say it in Psalm, but it does say it in Acts 4. I will tell you the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And so obviously David's writing uh, obviously about himself, but the fulfillment of this obviously is Christ because David's a type of Christ. And so, um, and then um, that second one is, I think that's not Psalm 2. That is Second Samuel. I think that's second. I think it's the Davidic second covenant. Samuel seven. Yeah, yeah. Second Samuel chapter seven, the Davidic covenant. I think what verse fourteen? Yep, correct. Fourteen. Yeah. So it's almost as if you have it all all in front of you already. Yeah, he says, <laughs> "I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son." Now, mm-hmm. obviously, there it's not capitalized, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's in historical narrative, and he's just he's just pulling out of out of that reality. And this is interesting, right? Because in context, you know, this is the Davidic covenant. This is God making his eternal covenant with David that, that, that a, his son, a seed of David, will sit on the throne forever. Obviously, mm-hmm. we know that that is now, we know that's Christ. This is back to the Genesis 3.15. That seed is coming, and he's going to be a king, and he's going to come through the line of David. And he's promising David, uh, your lineage will never be will never stop. Your your kingdom will last forever, i.e. through the Son. Mm-hmm. And so he says, I will raise up, verse 12, raise up for you an offspring after you who shall come from your own body, i.e., and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, you know, who's he talking about? Well, ultimately, he's talking about Solomon, right? Because he says right there, he will build a house for me, and my name, and I will establish his throne forever. Well, obviously that's Solomon who's coming, and mm-hmm. that's who ultimately builds the temple. And yet, actually, at the in the full uh, in the fulfillment of this, it's Christ, right? Right. Who ultimately uh, does that? And then verse fourteen: I will be to him a father, and he he shall be to me a son. And now look, and here's verse fourteen: When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. Mm. Well, we're not talking about Christ now, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where you gotta you gotta watch this and what he's talking about. So obviously, yeah, when 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 we're talking about these passages as quoted from Psalm two and and uh, first Second uh, Samuel uh, seven fourteen you got to be careful and understand in context what he's saying. So now he's talking about the this whole chapter in Hebrews 1 is all about the su- the superiority of Christ to everything. Mm-hmm. So remember what we've where this all began. You started this this Pandora's <laughs> box. And it was what? About the revelation. Mm-hmm. And so again, remember what I told you. Now it's going to start to become clear. 
you can look at it from the angle of the modes of revelation that's there, meaning he spoke through dreams, visions, and everything, right? But you can also look at it through the completion of revelation. Mm. So this whole chapter is about how Christ is superior to everything. The entire book is about that. Mm. Christ is superior to everything. He's a superior high priest. Mm-hmm. He's a, he brings a superior covenant. He brings a superior sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He's a superior mediator. Everything mm-hmm. in the book of Hebrews is about Christ. And so he's starting out here now. Christ is the, is the superior revelation. No more revelations needed. Now you start to see the clarity that starts to come mm. because we've we've been given the 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 max. Mm. We've been given the ultimate culmination, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he continues and he says, "Now I'll show you how superior he is to angels." Mm. And he says, "So so mm-hmm. to which angel has he said this?" Right. And he hasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Only to to God the Son has he said to this, "You are my Son. Today I've begotten you." And then only to him he's, he said, "I will be a father to him. You shall be my son." Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is this is a language of eternal generation. Um, and what that means is this is language between the Father and the Son, not in God making him the Son, but in how God relates to the Son. Mm. That's that's what you have to watch here. Because if you're not careful, you start to think that this is like God at this moment was making the second member of the Trinity his son, so to speak, right? Like like literally creating him. Well, we know that's not the case. He's the uncreated one. He's the eternal one because we, we've already seen that in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father. And so, mm-hmm. so this comes so far after that. So we know that's not going to work. And mm-hmm. obviously we know uh, Christ is eternal. He had no big, no end and and had no beginning. So what is he saying here? And this is language of of begottenness, right? John three sixteen, the only begotten Son. It's the same phraseology that's used here. Today I have begotten you. What does that mean, right? Is and so critics of the Bible or heretics, or whatever, will in in the sense of uh, people who will who will not believe in the deity or the eternality of Christ, they'll say, see, Christ is created. See, there it is. God the Father created him at this moment. Mm-hmm. He becomes the Son. And it's like, no, this is how, if you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit from all eternity, right? He's always been the Son. God's always been, God the Father's always been the Father, and God mm-hmm. the Spirit's always been the Spirit. Then there's got to be language in which they relate to each other as right. Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. So right. they're just relating to each other. In their, in their distinctive roles as father, son, and that's what he's saying. And he's speaking, obviously, to the promise that, that God the Father is going to give to the son, obviously, this eternal kingdom and this heritage of people and all of that, and that's part of what's going on here. It's a deeper topic. It's a longer theological discussion of eternal generation, but that's, that's at the heart of it. Wow. That is, that is, that is great. And you know, for me, I I don't know why I started reading Hebrews and opening it up, but the very first time I went through uh, this first chapter, because obviously, because uh, of my, uh, I'd say the the beginnings of my faith, the the first day of my faith, it's been you know just about like God speaking to people. I also saw a video this week. Um, uh, the video was by somebody that I like, um, on, uh, on YouTube reform wiki, uh, W I K I. And, uh, he, he uses, he uses more 
Vodibacum quotes to Vodibacum. Like that is <laughs> that is how many quotes he uses. Uh, but one of the videos that I was just I just kind of came across uh, and watching uh, was about God speaking to people, and uh, he used uh, Beth Moore with her crazy, uh, you know, brushing my brushing the, the stranger's <laughs> hair in the airport story, and you know, uh, use use a lot of false teachers, you know, talking about God speaking to them, God speaking to them. But one of the points that and obviously all I'm, I'm giving you like the context of why I even went back to this text. But one of the things that I, you know, uh, realized and, and he pointed out in that video was that whenever God, you know, falsely obviously speaks to someone now, nobody else hears it. And if, if that was the case, then if nobody else hears it, then there's no way to check that, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way to, you know, put that in there. Mm-hmm. So, and he doesn't speak, he he doesn't speak in many forms. It's always this, uh, from what they say, this audible voice mm-hmm. that God spoke to them and spoke to them only. But even scripture says long ago, long ago, <laughs> that's the first part yep. in many ways and in many uh, uh, times, you know, God spoke through the prophets, but you know, the, the thing that got me about it was it was just a, a basically it's like they're willing to and and uh, 100% following after the fact that God is still speaking. So he was making the point that it's an open canon, basically, if he if he has spoken, if he's still speaking. Mm-hmm. So um, with you and this is all tying back to our original topic of prayer, um, they he had a, uh, a clip of Brian Houston, um, the leader of uh, Hillsong Church, which I highly, highly suggest that if you are singing or listening to or, you know, your church is singing it, I highly recommend that you not do any of that because that is a, a complete false church. But um, one of the things that he said is that, you know, prayer is you kind of opening up that that highway to God you got to listen to God after you pray Mm. and you know all those things so um what I want as we're closing down is for the reasons why we should not be listening for God basically um in the sense of and obviously we've already talked about this before Mm -hmm. but the dangers of something like that Mm -hmm. well because um I would I would maybe maybe phrase the question this way for clarity, the dangers of list of not listening for of listening for God outside of His Word. Okay, right, because yep. there is a biblical sense in which we listen to God mm-hmm. in the way He has revealed Himself, which is His Word. Mm-hmm. Right, and so um, that's how we hear God, mm-hmm. and that's how He speaks. Right, thus saith the Lord. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. how many times does that come up? And that's what the Word of God is. God speaks through his word, and that's what, I mean, probably the greatest passage on this in the New Testament, which involves the Old Testament, is 2 Timothy 3, you know, 16 and 17, mm-hmm. for the word of God, mm-hmm. you know, you know, has been, in, has been breathed out by God, mm-hmm. and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped, matured in every good work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're called to listen to, James chapter 1, right? Be, be not quick uh, to speak, but be, uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Talking about against the Word, 
mm. in the context. That's what that's talking about. We often apply it in everything else. Yeah, two yeah. Ears and one mouth. Yeah, yeah. And there's obviously some application to that. I don't mm. or implication would be a better word for that. But if you look at it in context. He's talking about receiving, which is what he goes on to say, mm-hmm. the implanted word with meekness, mm. right? That's the whole point. He's driving the reality of God's word and how we should receive it and not be one who looks at it like he looks at himself in the mirror and goes away and forgets what he's seen, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the whole point. And so, yeah, there's a, re- there's a reality of listening to the, to the word of God. We know that. That's how we hear from the Lord. But your question of why should we not listen for uh, God through any other means is simply the simple answer I would give you is because God doesn't speak through any of those other means, mm. right? Obviously, he speaks through revelation, but that is a that is a, that is a um, a blessed revelation from the Lord, but it is an incomplete revelation of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It is through special revelation given to us in His perfect Word. Again, back to Second Timothy says it so clearly: it's by the Word of God that I am rebuked. I am reproved, I am corrected, I am trained in righteousness Mm -hmm. so that I might be thoroughly equipped. It's not by visions, it's not by dreams, it's not by anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, back to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we have everything we need for life and godliness in the precious promises Mm -hmm. which point to Christ so that what we might become a partaker in the divine nature, i.e. be made like Christ. Mm -hmm. doesn't say we need anything else. Mm -hmm. Actually, in that passage of 2 Peter chapter 1, later on about verse 16, Peter goes on to explain that he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the radiance of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and he said, what? You have something more sure, the prophetic word. Mm you do well to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. i.e. listen to it. Mm-hmm. So Peter tells us to only listen to the Word, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so that would be the positive answer. The negative answer would be, um, meaning negative in the sense of what are the results if I do listen to anything else? Well, the reality of uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 8 is very clear. If I listen to anything else, I'm trusting in my own understanding and not mm-hmm. leaning upon the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And James or John, uh, Jeremiah 17:9 says, "My heart is so incurably sick." It says it's deceptive and deceived. So how do I know what I'm listening to is anything other than my own voice? Mm. How do I know what I'm listening to is anything other than than my own thoughts, my own desires, mm-hmm. whatever those may be? I don't know that. I have no idea. It is the height of subjectivity. That's why everybody that has a has an impression, a premonition, a vision, a dream, at the end of the day, how do you know? Mm. You don't. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. You're yeah. left. Obviously, you'll interpret it however you want to interpret it, mm-hmm. right? I could interpret it and say it was demonic. Mm. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm not there. I'm not in your, your head. You mm-hmm. can interpret it and say it's angelic. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, you, no one knows. Mm-hmm. But when we open the Word of God, we know. Mm. It's emphatic. It's undeniable. It's objective, empirical, proven, the Word of God. Mm. And that's why we listen to the Word of God, because there's no question. I'm not relying on my own premonitions. I'm l- relying on God's prophetic revelation. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, uh, my thoughts, my dreams, my visions will always be skewed by my sinful desires. Mm-hmm. God's Word is holy and perfect, and we do well to pay attention to it. And so that's why we, we, uh, w- we don't deny when things happen, 
right? Especially if somebody comes to me and says, I had this, I had that, you know, I'm not there. What am I going to say? You didn't have that. I'm not, in, I'm, I'm not next to you while you're having a dream. You could very mm-hmm. likely could have a dream. Right. You very likely could have hurt something. I don't know. I mean, what am I to, I'm not going to look at you and say, no, you didn't have that. What I am going to say is let's be careful of calling what you had scripture because mm. that's what revelation is, right? So every time somebody hears, hears a word from the Lord, it's scripture, which is revelation. You're, you're getting revelation. So I'd be real careful in saying, you know, God spoke to me. It's like, all right, did you write it down? You know, because in New Testament, Old Testament, when God spoke, they wrote it down, right? It's scripture. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we're not going to do that, and people aren't going to do that because they know. They know what? They know it could be wrong. Mm. That's why Wayne Grudem and, and, and guys who are theologians that take a, a position in ongoing prophecy— their definition of ongoing prophecy is what? It's oftentimes wrong. What? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, but that's how they define it. They have to define it that way. They have to, even though that that defies the biblical definition of prophecy. Biblical prophecy, according to Deuteronomy 18, has to be 100% correct all the time or the man is stoned because he's not from God. Mm. Well, that's the way God always acted, and that's mm-hmm. the way God always spoke. Old Testament, New Testament, mm-hmm. 100% accurate all the time. What God said came to pass, will come to pass. Never a flaw, never an error, because it's holy, perfect. It's the character of God. He never lies. It always comes true. But now the New Testament, uh, or the modern believer's view of quote-unquote New Testament prophecy, which is which is is no different from the Old Testament, but they try to make it different and say, no, but in the New Testament, it's got some flaws in it. It's like, no, we're, we're messing with the Word of God now. Yeah. So the contemporary definition of New Testament, or should I say ongoing prophecy, is God speaks, but it's not infallible. It's mm. not inerrant. It's, it's laden with errors, and man has to, has to test the spirits, and they take that out of context. Test the spirit by the spirit. Yeah, they have to test to see if it's because so often it's filled with, it's like, if it's from God, it's never filled with error. Ever. It's a lot of gymnastics to yes. get to to get back to the well to and you all you have to do is just walk straight to the point. So then I always the ask Bible this question. I always ask this question. So how do you test it to know if it's if what your vision or what you're hearing is true? By what standard? And by what standard? And you know what they'll say? Well the Bible. And I'm like, okay, so you're hearing something that you don't know if it's true, and but you're going to claim it's from God. The only way you're going to know it's true is if it lines up with the Bible. And I'm like, why do you need to hear it if it's already in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, it's a self-defeating. It doesn't, God has already revealed himself. You think he's going to give you a special message that's already in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Or he's going to f- continue to do what he already said in the Bible, which was search him out in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's like, And then ultimately it just points to the person. Yes. Versus pointing the scripture because yes. it's like you're looking to the person for the word and yeah, you know, all those types of things. It's confusing. So. It's confusing. But yeah. the word of God is sufficient. We need not we need nothing new because back to let's bring this all, let's land this plane. Man, you took us on a course tonight. Let's land this plane, right? <laughs> Hebrews chapter one. It's sufficient at the end of the day because it's the word of God about the Son of God, mm. who is the sufficient ultimate revelation, the exact radiance, the exact imprint of God the Father. There is no there is no more revelation needed because all the revelation needed and the perfect revelation has already been given. It is in and through the Son. Mm. That's good. And uh, I'm going to do it again with uh, our friend Justin Peters. If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. There you go.
If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. Amen. Yep. Thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate you all listening. And uh, this has been a, a really good uh, podcast. Thank you, Pastor Matt. And uh, here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath and hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone, everywhere, to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner, and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.